All right. Well, please uh, join me in, in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a long uh, one, but we'll, we'll read it together. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Euturia and Traconitus, and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene, during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire." And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. To be clear, his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for just the, uh, the joy and privilege that we have uh, today to be able to go to your word and to really read it for ourselves and, and explore it together. And so, Lord, we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our ears to hear your word, our minds to understand, our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, open my uh, mouth that I may uh, proclaim your word clearly. We ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who are visiting um, for the first time with us today, I'm not Gunnar Hansen. Um, he will be back um, in, goodness, I think about a, about a month or so. Uh, they're in, well, he'll be back in the pulpit in about a month or so. I'll make that uh, distinction. He and his family are uh, in Spain enjoying some, uh, some wonderful time uh, out there. And 
Uh, so I'll be preaching the next couple weeks, and then Brother John will be bringing the word uh, after that. So uh, uh, stick around with us, and uh, hope you enjoy it as, as I know. we John and I both uh, just enjoy the privilege of coming and preaching and bringing the word to y'all. So... So again, here we are, uh, kind of picking up where we uh, left off last week. Uh, Gunner uh, brought us through uh, the end of chapter two, um, and really just seeing the the journey, that kind of transition of of Jesus, um, kind of growing in his human nature and in his divine nature, uh, and we see that kind of tension, uh, not conflict, but tension playing out uh, in the account of him uh, going down with his. His family, as was accustomed to uh, to worship in Jerusalem for one of the feasts, and he kind of stayed behind and hung out and was just uh, people were in awe, you know, with him asking questions and giving uh, great answers to a lot of the religious leaders there. Uh, but as we recall, when mom and dad showed up, they were uh, a bit upset because they had been looking for him for a few days, and uh, and he didn't respond in anger. He just responded with that. Um, Honesty and saying, "Well, why are you surprised? I'm here. I'm, I'm about my father, my father's business." And uh, we 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 remember that you know they didn't Mary didn't and Joseph didn't quite fully comprehend, but says Mary kind of hid that in her heart. And uh, and again, uh, we know that Luke uh, interviewed Mary in preparation for his writing the gospel and uh, and got to hear a lot of these um, accounts that she shared with him that uh, just neat that that personal aspect where you know as she's telling her account of uh, the life and ministry of Jesus where she's remembering like oh man I didn't know it fully back then but I remember it being significant and hiding in my heart so here we have the kind of transition from you know the last account that we have of Jesus from his childhood to really the start of Jesus ministry and if we recall there was a forerunner to Jesus' ministry that was uh, prophesied back in uh, the beginning of Luke's gospel, and that was John, John the Baptist. And so here we are really being able to see uh, John the Baptist coming and and starting to lay the way, prepare the foundation uh, for Jesus' ministry. So with uh, some of this intro and uh, kind of some historical background, some context, here Luke is helping us with the chronology and as well as the uh, the local uh, authority, you know, whether that was the Roman authority, the the Jewish um, king at the time, which again was uh, Herod Herod the Great, who was the one we recall who had who was threatened by this new baby king and had all of the children um, or all of the males in Bethlehem uh, slaughtered. We know that he he was no longer um, he is no longer in leadership here. It was his son that was uh, in charge here, uh, Herod the Tetrarch. Again, Herod was was so bad that uh, Rome said, hey, we're going to take the kingdom of Judea from you, and we're going to split it up uh, between your sons. And uh, and they didn't do so great of a job either, as we see. Um, but, you know, some of the other uh, key things here is we see uh, the high priest Annas and Caiaphas mentioned. And What's interesting is how Luke is kind of setting not only the historical context for, you know, when this is taking place, when uh, John the Baptist, and then even more importantly, Jesus' ministry is is taking place. 
It's also a foreshadowing of what's to come. You know, we see each of these leaders, um, Herod and Pontius Pilate, and then even Anna and uh, Caiaphas, really challenging and trying to uh, prevent the, the ministry, prevent the work of God from taking place. But as we know, there's nothing that can thwart the will of God. And so we'll see that play out the rest, throughout the rest of the gospel. All right, well, verse 2, we see, um, again, this, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. We recall that uh, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Uh, he was born to uh, one of the, the priests, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth, who Elizabeth, if we remember, is, was uh, Mary's cousin. And she was, she was of old age, no longer uh, childbearing. She had been barren. And uh, so it was a miracle for her to give birth to John, John the Baptist. And uh, we recall Zechariah's prophecy as he was filled with the Holy Spirit, declaring the coming Messiah and salvation for God's people and that John the Baptist would be the forerunner. We see in, again, looking back at chapter 1, verses 76 and 77, Zechariah says of, of John, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And so we see this, uh, John is... is um, on the scene now, doing what was prophesied. Uh, and we know that he was in the wilderness um, for many years uh, preparing. God was using that wilderness time to prepare him for this prophetic ministry. And uh, we, we can see it's, it's helpful to look at some of the other uh, gospel accounts um, in Mark 1, Matthew 3, and, and John 1. We, we are able to get a kind of fuller picture of, of John the Baptist. And, and it, as we all know, it's helpful to do that because Scripture interprets Scripture. And, uh, but here the emphasis is we see um, the Word of God come to John and as he begins to carry out his ministry. And his ministry is proclaiming baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And what was unique about this is baptism was typically, in, under the Old Covenant, under Old Testament law, baptism was a rite for Gentiles that were converting to, into Judaism. Uh, there, were, there was, of course, um, uh, circumcision for the males, but for males and females, they were baptized as uh, being brought into the Jewish faith. And so for John to say, hey, everybody needs to repent and be baptized for their forgiveness of sins, that would have ruffled a lot of feathers. Especially, you know, those that considered themselves to be pious Jews, they would have been like, baptized? Why do we need to be baptized? And we see that kind of response with some of the leaders. Again, here, moving along into, uh, um, well, don't want to jump too far ahead, but it, we see here, in, I, you know, by Luke incorporating, and really all the Gospels incorporate uh, this uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 40 of uh, the messianic prophecy finally being fulfilled and that John the Baptist was coming to, he was the voice crying out from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And with that came, you know, a lot of things were going to be shifting the, the world as a lot of the, the people of God knew was going to be turned upside down. And uh, 
It was a tremendous blessing for those who uh, came to know Christ as the true Messiah and the King of Kings, but it also became judgment for those who rejected him. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we see this prophetic word uh, being applied, this messianic prophecy being applied to uh, John the Baptist coming onto the scene and to the ministry that he was doing, preaching a gospel of repentance and having people be baptized to, in preparation for receiving the Messiah. And, uh, but it was, it was a bit confusing for, for a lot of folks. You know, some, many of the people within, uh, the, within the nation of Israel, they would have heard, you know, it had been a while ago, but many of them would have recalled what, you know, this miracle that took place uh, with, with Zechariah and with Elizabeth. Because again, Zechariah, he was a priest, and he was actually, you know, one of those that had gone into uh, the temple, into the Holy Holies to make the sacrifice. And so a lot of people, even the religious uh, leaders, they would have been familiar with who John the Baptist was. But all of a sudden, he disappears for, you know, a couple, two or three decades and is in the wilderness. And now he's coming back and he's, you know, eating locusts and honey and is covered in camel skins. And some people might've been like, oh man, like he's, he's kind of fallen from uh, his, his uh, big beginnings. But people that would have recalled and remembered a lot of the prophets from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant would have, would have been like, huh, we see a similar, familiar theme going on. You know, a lot of the prophets did spend time in the wilderness, and when they came to bring a word of of God to His people, it was often twofold. It was a it was a warning, a warning of of God's blessing and forgiveness and salvation for those who turned to Him, but also a warning of judgment for those who didn't. And as we we recall from reading through the Old Testament. Most of the time, people not, did not respond the way that, that they should have with, those, with these warnings. And in fact, it, as we see, that was all a foreshadow to the need of a Messiah. Because if we were capable of our own accord to turn away from our sin and to turn towards the Lord, well, then Jesus wouldn't need to have come. But we know that that wasn't the case. And we know that we're still sinful human beings today in need of a Savior. So, Moving along here at verse 7, we see, you know, at, verse, at first glance, it could be read like, man, John's kind of coming across harsh. You know, here these crowds are gathering, and he just immediately launches in with, you brood of vipers. And it's like, whoa, all right, John, like, man, wait a, I mean, if there's somebody who's, you know, I've known a lot of, uh, you know, old school Baptist preachers who are like all about, you know, bringing, you know, the, the fire and brimstone. And I don't think this is that was quite the context of, of John um, speaking to all of the crowds. And so again, that's why it's important to, to read the other gospel accounts to kind of get a better context and understanding. Because as we see, the brood of vipers that, uh, that John the Baptist was talking to within these crowds were the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or some of people that were sent by them because they were not wanting to... Uh, you know, show their own personal concern. They sent people to check out who this John the Baptist was. You know, what was he proclaiming? What was he saying? And John, that's where John, he, you know, similar to Jesus, you know, the ones that they did not show patience with or much patience with were, were those that should have known better, those that had studied God's word, those that had put on a facade of being 
close followers with God, but as we know from Scripture, they were whitewashed tombs. They were hypocrites. They were good at following God's uh, law on the outside, but they were doing it for greed, for selfish gains, for status. And we ultimately know the worst sin that they committed is they rejected Jesus as Messiah. And so he, John has these harsh words of warning for the religious leaders. Um, and, you know, that, that was the, you know, the big reason why he challenged them that way. Uh, but he didn't just say, hey, you brood of vipers, you know, you're, you're doomed, there's no hope for you. He challenged them because, again, as we know, there were some Pharisees, there were some scribes, some Sadducees that did accept Christ as the Messiah. And so what John did is he's like, look, like you guys, you should know better. So make sure that when you are coming for this baptism, that you're not just doing it for show like all the other things that you've been doing for show, but bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And so that, you know, again, not holding on to the merits of their old, not holding on to their prestige, but actually living out this transformative work that they're claiming to. And, uh, and that's a, just another great reminder for us today. And then moving along to, uh, you know, we see uh, in verse 9, John gives a warning of judgment to those who reject Jesus. See, the, again, the scribes and the Pharisees of all people should have recognized what was happening. The Messiah was coming. And yet, rather than joyfully receiving him, they became chiefly involved in Christ's crucifixion. And their penalty was not only the destruction of Jerusalem, but even worse, they would miss out on eternity with God. And in verse 10, we see the crowds, they ask the question, you know, many of them, they hear this, you know, this stern warning that John is giving to the religious leaders. And so a lot of the other people in the crowd, they begin to ask, man, what you say bear the fruit of repentance. What does that look like? And see the, and so we see John, he gives some good practical examples. In verse 11, he gives the example that is so simple and yet so easily dismissed and overlooked by us. And that is to be generous, to recognize that we we don't own what God has blessed us with. We are stewards of what he has blessed us with. And so when we, have, when we recognize what God has blessed us with, we should have thankful hearts, generous hearts, ready to spill that blessing over into others that God brings into our lives. And so that's, we see this you know, echoed even further in Christ's ministry in proclaiming the word of God. And, and yet John is saying like, hey, if you, want to, if you want to kind of figure out if you are bearing the fruit of repentance that you're proclaiming, if you're wanting to figure out how you're walking the walk and not just talking the talk, here's, here's some basic examples of, of how this will play out. You know, if you have, if you see a brother or sister in need, give them the, you know, the extra clothes that you have. You know, give them the food, the extra food that you have. Help meet their basic human needs in a, a way of being a blessing and showing God's love uh, to them. And then we see these next examples, which again, in our modern day context, we can awfully or often just overlook the huge significance that these two uh, big examples were. In verses 12 and 13, we see some tax collectors. They're asking John, they're saying, what, what should we do? 
And, uh, you know, I know there may some, be some folks in here that are like, well, that's obvious, you know, ta- taxation is theft. Um, but the reality is back then, like, no kidding, for the people, the, the Jews at that time, they really felt that way because they were under Roman occupation. And these tax collectors, many of which were fellow Jews, were, they were the ones going around collecting taxes for Rome uh, for this occupying pagan nation and uh, ruler, uh, they were having to you know, give these taxes to the tax collectors. And a lot of the times, those tax collectors, they used that position to their benefit. And you know, whether you know, if Rome was like, well, you, know, you got to pay a 6% tax, these tax collectors would say, well, actually, it's a 7% tax. And they would take that you know, skim off the top. And, uh, and so, you know, What's interesting, and, and so the, those people, we knew that, man, they, the Jews did not like the tax collectors. And in fact, we see when later on in Jesus' ministry, that's what a lot of the leaders say. They're like, oh man, he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Like, man, the lowest of the low. And so it's interesting, again, how Luke is, is foreshadowing uh, Jesus' ministry and saying, even the gospel is here, forgiveness and salvation is here, even for tax collectors. And, uh, and, and yet we see John doesn't say, all right, hey, you tax collectors, you need to walk away from being tax collectors. That's not what he says. He says, hey, do this job, do it right. Only collect what you are authorized, what you're supposed to collect. Don't abuse your position to try to steal from your brothers and sisters. And then similarly, and well, and so we'll see this in more kind of beautiful detail later on in Luke's gospel when we see the interaction with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Moving along in verse 14, we kind of see a similar example here with uh, the soldiers. Uh, some soldiers came to John and said, hey, you know, what are we supposed to do? And again, you know, for a lot of us nowadays, uh, we think of the military and we often think of it, you know, with many of us, uh, there may be some some folks that aren't don't feel this way, but a lot of times we we have a sense of of respect for our our military troops uh, here in America, but that was not the historical context for the people of of Israel here. The Jews again they were being occupied by a pagan um, a pagan nation, Rome. And uh, were being imposed all these things. They had a history where you know some of the Roman leaders were like trying to prevent them from uh, worshiping um, you know God the way that they were commanded to. Some of them you know desecrated the temple. There was a lot of tension, and so the 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 Jews they did not take kindly for to soldiers. And that was whether these were actual Roman soldiers who were occupying um, the nation of of Israel, kind of. They're keeping the peace, or whether it was the, the Jewish soldiers that had been hired by Herod, again, a very wicked uh, puppet king, if you will, for the, for the nation of Israel at the time. Regardless of whether these are Roman or Jewish soldiers, we know that they were not viewed well. They were not liked by uh, the Jews. And so for them to come and say, John, what do we do? And, you know, some would think like John would be like, oh, well, you need to, you know, resign uh, your commission, you know, give up your enlistment, you know, leave the military. That's not what John says. We see that he says, you know, to not abuse 
your power and authority against fellow Jews. And he says he does not tell them to quit, but to be content with their wages and to wield their authority fairly and justly. And again, we see this as kind of a foreshadowing to Jesus' interaction with Cornelius later on in his ministry. So moving along in verse 15 and 16, it says, some began asking John if he was the Messiah. Now, again, um, it's helpful to have the context that there were, there were uh, quite a few that came before John the Baptist and, and before Jesus that claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, we see that there were uh, quite a few after uh, Jesus' uh, death and resurrection that tr- claimed to be the Messiah. So there were, there were uh, you know, people were kind of, some of them were really curious, you know, hey, is, is he the Messiah? Because he, they're hearing his prophetic voice, or they're hearing uh, him proclaiming uh, God's word, and there's a lot of excitement. And so some of the folks, you know, again, may have remembered some of the, um, the prophecy that, uh, that Zechariah had said, you know, some 30 years ago. And so there's just kind of this buzz in the air, like, oh man, who's this John the Baptist guy? You know, maybe he's the Messiah. And, and yet we know that John the Baptist wasn't the Messiah, and he stated it very clearly in, in all the Gospels. He, he makes it clear that, hey, I am not the Messiah. And in fact, here we see that John says, he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so that, like, he's making it clear Uh, very clear to them, like, look, I'm here to prepare the way. Like, if you think the gospel that I'm proclaiming, if you think, you know, what I'm doing is something to be excited about, just you wait. The one who's coming after me, the the true Messiah, he's going to baptize you, not with water like I am, but with Holy Spirit and fire. And again, you know, those that were hearing, they would have been excited, some, some confusion, but you know, they were, their hearts were being prepared. Uh, the gospel was, was being planted in their hearts for Jesus' ministry. All right. So, and again, here we see, um, moving along in verse 17, we see similar to the other Old Testament prophets, John's word from the Lord brought a warning of salvation for those who heard and received, but also a warning of judgment for those who failed to take heed. Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was indeed coming to bring salvation to those who believe and follow him, but also judgment to those who reject him. Again, he's, he's you know, there at the threshing floor waiting to sift the wheat from the um, from the chaff. And we see, again, Jesus uh, continuing that in, uh, in his parables throughout his ministry as a warning that, hey, like, follow me, or you're going to wind up um, being cut off from God and his love for eternity. And in verse 18 and 19, we see uh, Luke kind of giving a summary close to the work of John the Baptist and preparing the way for Jesus. And again, if you're itching for more details, as I hope many of us are, I encourage you to read the parable, parallel accounts in the other Gospels. And John's Gospel kind of gives um, a lot of, again, gives a lot of those wonderful details. 
And I'll use that to uh, put a shameless plug in for our uh, Tuesday night Bible study where we've been going through uh, the Gospel of John. And so I know some of us that have been uh, able to join in that. We've, we've enjoyed kind of uh, discussing kind of how we've been working through that and now kicking off the, the preaching through uh, the Gospel of Luke seeing a lot of those parallels and seeing where some of them focus on particular details where others kind of focus on some other details and, uh, and just see the wonderful harmony that, that God uh, designed to, to have us have a better, ro- more robust understanding of uh, Christ's work and ministry and, and the gospel for us uh, today. And So here in closing, in verse 20, we see Luke gives us a warning for what is to come. For now, we see John the Baptist is imprisoned for proclaiming God's word of truth regarding the sins of Herod. But we we can recall, we know what's coming, that eventually John's persecution would turn into martyrdom like many, many of the prophets of the Old Testament before him. So again, we can, we can come to this text and we can you know, think like, oh man, this is some great historical background, but how does it apply to me? How does it apply to our lives today? Well, so I have a, a few things that I want us to just kind of hone in and, and hopefully apply to our lives. And the first one is bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I think it's, it's easy for us to get caught up in the, in the motions and, and uh, many of us, you know, may have grown up in the church and we've kind of just been going through the motions and we're like, well, you know, yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian and yet, you know, we're not that much different than those uh, in the world. You know, we're not showing the fruit of God's work in our lives. And so that's a, it's a challenge and it's, it's a warning for us like, man, if that's, if that's you, if that's one of us here today, you know, the, the beautiful news is, hey, guess what? The gospel is proclaimed to all of us, and we, all of us have the opportunity to respond in faith. And uh, you know, some of the ways that, again, that bearing fruit can, can play out is, is having hearts that are generous, having hearts that are compassionate, having hearts that desire to serve others and put others above ourselves. Secondly, is a, a big warning that John the Baptist is making in that, hey, don't rely on the merits of those who have gone before you. Again, the challenge that the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all the religious leaders, when they showed up and are like, why are you telling us that we need to be baptized? He, John's words of warning are clear. He's like, hey, don't, don't rest on your laurels thinking that Oh well, you know I'm a I'm a son of Abraham or I'm a daughter of Abraham. I you know I've I've got my you know get out of hell free card already. Like no, that wasn't the case. John is saying, look, it doesn't matter if you claim to be um, you know a son or daughter of Abraham. If your heart's not right with the Lord, then judgment is coming. And so all of us, you know that that warning is there. And so you know the, I know a lot of the a lot of the kids, but you know, hey, we're all kids at some point. It's easy for us to say, well, well, I grew up in a Christian household. My parents were devout uh, Christians. My grandparents were devout Christians. So, you know, their, their faith was strong enough to where, you know, I'll be able to get into heaven by like holding onto their tailcoats. John's warning here is saying like, no, that is not the case. Like each and every one of us are called to repentance, are called to put our faith and trust and Jesus Christ, and to receive salvation that comes from him and him alone. 
Thirdly is to live for Christ in whatever job God has placed you in. And again, that's the beautiful, one of my uh, favorite things about this passage is John's response to the tax collectors and the soldiers. He didn't say, hey, those, those jobs are, are terrible. You need to walk away from them. Maybe that was true. Maybe it wasn't. But John's focus was, hey, God has placed you in that job for a, for a time, for a season, for a reason. Make sure that you're doing that to the glory of God. You're using that to not um, steal from others, but you're using that as an opportunity to, to take care of others, to, to hold up God's truth, God's justice, God's mercy. And, uh, you know, I, it makes me think, especially when, uh, with the account of the soldier, uh, of one of my uh, experiences back when I was uh, chaplain's assistant uh, serving with a Marine Infantry Unit. I remember one, uh, one day we were deployed over in Iraq, and uh, our sergeant major, who is the highest ranking enlisted uh, in our unit, came over and was talking with, with the chaplain. And I was like, man, this is cool. The sergeant major is talking with, with chaps. And, uh, um, and he was just sharing his struggle. You know, he, he considered himself to be a Christian, but was having a hard time reconciling the, uh, the, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of Christian living uh, with the you know, persona of being that, that tough Marine, that leader, that hardened leader of, of Marines, especially of Marine infantry. And I remember, you know, my, my chaplain at the time, who's a, a dear friend of mine, just challenged him and said, look, like God has placed you in this position. You have an incredible opportunity and responsibility to show your faith. You know, it doesn't mean that you need to be beating the junior Marines over, their, over the head with a Bible, but you have this opportunity to walk the walk and make it an impact on these junior Marines. And, and uh, I remember the Sergeant Major kind of nodding his head, and he, and he was like, all right, well, thanks, chaps, good talk. And the next morning, uh, one of my responsibilities as a chaplain's assistant at the time, I would get up early in the morning, and I would brew um, you know, two big pots of coffee for our Marines that were getting up to go out on convoys. And so I got up and made the coffee and, and was there. And who winds up showing up to get coffee that morning? Our sergeant major again, and uh, and so uh, he was there, and he was like, "So uh, RP, that was that was my name for my first three uh, years in the Navy was RP. It's short for religious program specialist. Um, I know it's a mouthful, but uh, he was like, "Hey RP, you know, what'd you think of the conversation with with Chaps yesterday?" And I was like, "Oh, I thought it was really good. You know, he had a lot of great points, and and he's and sergeant major he." He goes, well, yeah, it's easy for chaps to say, but he's, he's not like warriors like we are. And I was like, oh, okay. He's you know, trying to pull me in onto, onto his side. And he was like, you know, he, it's his job to be the chaplain. It's his job to, you know, to live out his faith and, and make that known. But, but it's, you know, for those of us who are warriors, it's a lot harder and, and I was just like, oh, Lord, give me the wisdom to, to say the right thing. Because I knew, like, man, if I go one way, whew, I could really tick off the sergeant major. But if I go the other way, then, man, then I'm just, I'm being complicit. And, uh, and so I remember, you know, looking at him, sergeant major, like, I got to agree with chaps. And at first he's like, oh, well, you know, I figured you'd say that. You know, you're, you're his assistant. You got to have his back. And I was like, well, no, sergeant major, it's, it's more than that. Like, 
I believe that sincerely for all of us, you know, when we look at scripture and I took him to this passage and I pointed him to Cornelius and I said, God has called us all to be the salt and light. And we have that opportunity to live for him in whatever job and whatever situation that he has placed us in. Uh, so I was like, Sergeant Major, like, just, you know, for you and for me, like, we've, we've got we've to be about being that salt and light. We've got to walk the talk. And what a tremendous opportunity that we have to, to shine uh, our light for Christ to the world around us, it's starting with these Marines that are looking uh, to us and looking up to us. And I remember I was like kind of bracing myself like, oh man, how's his response going to be? And then he looked at me, he's like, all right, RP, you're right. I've got, I've got nothing else to say. And uh, you've given me some good stuff to think about. And he, he walked out and, and kind of like we had, had a great relationship with, with Sergeant Major uh, throughout that uh, tour, throughout our time together. Um, but the cool thing was is Sergeant Major are having, and I are having this conversation and there's junior Marines that are starting to gather around and listen and hear. And so not only did that conversation that, that we had um, was, you know, a mutual blessing to Sergeant Major and myself, but all of a sudden these junior Marines started, they started asking me questions like, oh man, like, oh, and wanted to know more about uh, the gospel. And, and some of them had kind of they had fallen into that temptation where like, man, to be a Marine, I've got to set aside my Christian faith and uh, keep it on the down low. And I just encouraged them like, look, no, like, bless you. You have this opportunity to shine uh, God's light into uh, these fellow Marines and sailors that need it. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, that's the excitement. No matter what job you're in, whether you're in construction, whether you are in um, agriculture, no matter what it is, use that, see that opportunity, law enforcement, use that opportunity to share God's love, to share God's truth, his hope to his gospel to those that you are encountering. Next, we see that we will likely face persecution for speaking the truth. Again, we see John the Baptist, he is declaring the word of God to the people. And we see this incredible response. Many of the people are repenting. They are, um, you know, being baptized. Their hearts are being prepared to receive the Messiah. But we know that wasn't the case for all of them. And in fact, we see that he, he didn't hold back and he, you know, made some right judgment calls about Herod, who had taken his brother's wife as his own wife, bless you, which we knew was a big no-no um, back then, as it is. Um, and, and so, you know, we know that John was first imprisoned and then eventually executed for uh, proclaiming the truth of God's word. And we see uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And when Jesus is saying that, he's including John the Baptist when he says the prophets who have gone before you. And so we shouldn't be surprised as we proclaim the gospel as we uh, are the salt and the light that God has called us to be, that it's not always going to be received well, 
many of us are going to experience persecution, maybe on a smaller level as, you know, being teased or, or bullied or made fun of. Some of us maybe, you know, wind up being fired from our jobs. And, and we know that many of our brothers and sisters around the world are being imprisoned and some even executed today for being faithful to the gospel. And so that, that's our, the reality that we must never forget. And if you're not facing persecution right now, my encouragement is to make sure that you're praying for those who are, uh, because there will come a day if you're sharing, if, if you're bearing that fruit of repentance, if you're sharing, uh, bearing that salt and light, you're going to face uh, persecution as well. And then lastly, in closing, my uh, encouragement is for us to remember that what, you know, John's his proclamation of the gospel, it was a warning, it was a beautiful warning that all of us are reminded of again and again throughout the entirety of Scripture, that one day, you know, the judgment will come to each of us. You know, none, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Um, and one day we will have to give account to, for our lives. Are we, have we given our lives over to Jesus or are we continuing to live out according to our selfish desires. And, uh, you know, for those of us who are lost, hurting, and currently just wrestling and, and broken in sin, you know what? The beautiful thing about the gospel is God promises to bring salvation and healing and forgiveness and redemption in those areas. For those of us who have grown up in the church and are just kind of, kind of going through the motions, again, the warning is, hey, salvation is here for you as well. Don't hold on to the rest on the laurels of, of the family that you've grown up in, but truly, like, you're called to repentance, to turn and give your lives over to Jesus. And the other beautiful thing is the gospel is here for those of us who are, are here today that may be hearing the gospel for the first time. Again, the call is to turn to Jesus, make way, prepare the way for the Lord. And we're going to be looking at that next week as, as Jesus comes on the scene and, and enters his earthly ministry. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that, Lord, that your word gives us just so many applicable examples, Lord, warnings, encouragements, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would use your word today to convict us uh, where we're needing to be convicted, Lord, to give us encouragement where we are needing to be encouragement. And Lord, that it would challenge each and every one of us to hold fast to you, to look to you and walk in the salvation, in the life of abundance that you've promised for each and every one of us who serve you. We ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.